Hello and welcome to the Meningitis Foundation New Zealand podcast. We aim to provide you with easy to understand information about meningitis and septicemia and the diseases that cause them, mainly pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. Today, I'm speaking with Sherilyn Sorrell. Sherilyn is mum to two children. Her youngest, Matthew, was three and a half when he was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis in 2009. He was at daycare at the time and his days were exhausting. But one morning, Matthew started showing some signs of meningitis and after a call to the GP, Sherilyn and her husband rushed Matthew straight to the hospital. He was treated immediately and was in hospital for seven days. Matthew's lucky to be alive and his recovery has been slow. He's been left with migraines and vision problems, but he's now an active 13-year-old. Sherilyn, thank you so much for joining me to talk about your family and for and to talk about Matthew's experience with meningitis. You're welcome. Sherilyn, can you tell me a little bit about three-year-old Matthew? Let's start off with what he was like as a toddler and a younger brother and, and a son at that stage of his life. Um, he was um, a typical toddler, life and soul of the party, liked to get involved in everything, very confident full of life, full of bees. I used to um, consider him a little Tasmanian death ball. He'd come in and he'd be like a little whirlwind running around. He was um, a great brother to Amy May, although he knew what buttons to press with her, being an older sister. Um, But he used to be able to play me off against her and pull the little cute little boy faces. So it was quite funny. And he was at daycare at the time, I understand. He Yes, he was. He used to go um, part-time while I was at work, um, and he loved that. He made some great friends, um, one of which he has now. We still see him regularly on his birthdays. Um, it's great that they managed to catch up. Now, he was three and a half, you mentioned, when he was hospitalised. Can you describe the events that led up to his hospitalisation, whether you went to see a GP or any any symptoms that yeah. had been displayed? Yeah. Yeah, it was um, not that many symptoms, actually. I think it was more of a mother's intuition. Um, The day before he got diagnosed with meningitis, he'd had a really busy day at daycare, and I think they went for a long walk. And normally, his energy levels are really high, so a long walk wouldn't normally wear him out. But he came home and fell asleep on the sofa. And I thought, that's a little bit weird. Um, But we put him to bed and he slept through, got him up the next morning and he was rubbing the back of his neck and he was kind of like saying sore neck, sore neck. And I think that was something that just, you know, made me think, well, I'm not too happy about this, knowing a little bit about meningitis. So I just asked him to look at his feet, his toes, and he couldn't do that. Um, It said it was sore. So I phoned the GP and I just said, look, I'm a little bit concerned. Um, can I get him in to be seen? They booked an appointment for 11 o'clock. So in the meantime, I popped him in the bath and he got out. And it was just a regular overcast day. It wasn't too bright. He got on my bed and he went underneath the covers because he kept telling me it was too bright and it was hurting his eyes. And it was then that I started to get really panicky. So I phoned the GP surgery and I said, oh, Something's changed. He's now saying that it's too bright and it's not that bright. And they told me to immediately go to hospital. 
So we, we took him straight away after they suggested that. So did you suspect that it could have been meningitis? Did you know about it? Um, I, I think I did, but it's one of those things where um, as a parent, you, you question yourself. You think, am I just being overprotective? Because when I had my daughter, every single rash she had, I was like running off to um, the hospital. Little did I know that the rash is the last sign. Um, so I didn't really know about the, the starter signs, but I knew about the stiff neck and I knew about the bright lights. And I think it was just those two symptoms that made me think, mm, this is not okay. And, and he wasn't his normal self. And, you know, by the time we got him to hospital, he was really floppy and really, really lethargic. Um, so we got there and we, there was a little queue and I was starting to panic a bit and I'd noticed a rash coming then and we got triaged and the nurse had told me that his breathing was labouring and he, he couldn't sit up. Um, so she went, you know, behind the doors and then we heard the call for the emergency paediatrician and then we knew something mm-hmm. serious was happening. Mm-hmm. And mother's intuition is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And this was different to all the other times I was paranoid with my, my other daughter. I think there was there was definitely something there telling me that this isn't right. This, you know, you know your own children. And, you know, it was just those two simple symptoms. And with the tiredness, I just thought, no, we just need to get him checked out. You obviously had that sense of urgency and, and knew that something had to be addressed. So that's that's yeah. brilliant. That's a really powerful message to send to other parents. Yeah, and I think you've just got to trust your gut instinct because sometimes you do feel a bit, especially if it's your first child, you feel like you're being overprotective or overdramatic and, you know, too paranoid. But no, it's, you know, just go and get it checked out. It's worth it because it, it saved Matthew's life. The GP often comments that if I'd have left it an hour later, he just wouldn't have been with us. And how long was Matthew actually in hospital for? He was in hospital for seven days. Um, he, he deteriorated really quickly when he was in there. I'm sorry if I get upset this bit because it's, it's just ingrained in my, my mind. Um, when we took him to the emergency room, laid him down, they couldn't get um, a vein because they wanted to put him straight on IV because they suspected it as well. And um, I remember him me sorry turning around because he's only a little you know three and a half year old and he was grimacing in pain and he kept saying it hurts mummy it hurts and so I was like trying to comfort him because you just feel so useless um and the yeah the GPs the doctors at the um, hospital really struggled to get the IV line in and they did say something about his like I think um, the blood was going straight to his like main organs to try and protect. I think that's what happens when you're cold as well. Um, so eventually they managed to get one in and then they told me that he needed to go for a lumbar puncture um, because they suspected meningitis. And it, it literally felt like it was such a strange feeling. It felt like somebody, this is a really weird way of describing it, chopped my legs off and I was like just, not there, but there. It was, it was, yeah, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. Gosh. So how, how did you cope throughout that period and, and your, your other family members as well? 
Um, I think you're on, when you go through it, you're on automatic pilot. I was lucky um, at Palmerston North Hospital. They were amazing. So I stayed with him all, all the time. Um, and Stu was with um, Amy May. She was only seven at the time. And um, we, um, one of our friends offered to have Amy overnight, which we thought was a good idea, but I think she just needed to be with us, so she had to come home. Um, it was difficult because, obviously, we don't have family here, but our friends rallied round and, you know, popped in, you know, to see us, but they had to wave through the window because they couldn't come in because he was isolated. So, yeah, I think it was more afterwards. Um, that we realised how close it was. And I think on the, I don't know whether it was the third or fourth day, he was really poorly. And I remember saying to my husband, you ask them, you ask them if he's going to get better. Excuse me. That's very upsetting. And um, he couldn't bring himself to ask and I couldn't because we just, you just didn't know. And, you know, was circling all the rash and trying to monitor the rash and he's, all his veins were um, collapsing, so he ended up having um, IV in his feet and an IV at the back of his neck just to get the, you know, the antibiotics and stuff pushed through him. So it was it was really horrible for him. But I think you're just in it and you just want your son to get better. So that that's your main focus, really. Mm-hmm. And after seven days in hospital, he was allowed home and discharged home with you yeah yeah that felt a little bit too soon for me um but I understand you know it's a busy hospital he he kind of like turned back round really quickly so he was able to just sit up a little bit but he couldn't hold a cup of water even with 10 mils of water and that was too much for him so I did feel at that stage that we was moved out of the hospital a bit too soon but then I also wanted him home where I could have him with me and, you know, just keep looking after him. Um, and I think we were sent home with some other meds. Um, it was just eating a little bit, but he was so, so weak. He couldn't walk. He couldn't stand up. He could like barely sit up with putting, you know, pillows and everything just to help support him. Um, yeah, so that was a bit, yeah, that was very unnerving. Were you, given, were you given any idea as to what some of the long-term effects of the infection could have been or, or what to to be aware of over that time? Um, I think I remember the paediatrician just telling me to watch out for, um, you know, other things, but you're on high alert. And I, then I started reading and reading and reading about it because um, I just wanted to be aware of it because Matthew was actually vaccinated for meningitis back in the UK. So it was a shock and it wasn't until I started researching that I realised that there was different strains of meningitis mm-hmm. and that, you know, you can get vaccinated, but then there are other ones as well. So um, that that was a bit of a shock. Um, and I didn't, I think they said that he could go back to daycare, but he was, he was too weak. Um, we tried to take him to a park and We tried to do all the things that he used to love to do, but he didn't get any enjoyment out of it. He was in so much pain um, with his legs, and I think his spine was still sore from the infection. So that was um, difficult to cope with. Yeah. 
Can you tell me a little bit about his recovery period, how how long that's taken, the types of challenges that you've faced, and what how he's been affected by any lasting impacts of the disease? Yeah, the recovery was um, long and drawn out. Um, it, it, it changed him for a good few years. Um, his energy levels, his concentration had gone. Um, he... You could see him wanting to like run to the park or wanting to go swimming and all those things, but he just didn't have the energy to do it. And um, he couldn't walk properly for a while. He'd start walking on his tiptoes, which was really weird. And then eventually that came back to normal. But we um, had follow-ups with hearing because he became really sensitive to sound, but it was um, background sound. So... Um, he couldn't go to any of the school discos because that really hurt his ears. Mm-hmm. Um, it started with migraines, and they were horrendous. He started with um, head migraines and then progressed to the stomach migraines, so where he was like vomiting. Um, and we ended up putting him on some very strong medication to try and like deal with that. I hadn't realized that that would have been a side effect. Um, but we did have another scare, um, I think a couple of years later. He started with the same symptoms and I took him straight in and they kept him overnight because he had the stiff neck and all the same kind of, you know, bright lights and, and whatnot. It kept him in the hospital. They discharged him the next day. And I wasn't very happy about that because, again, I was, I was just thinking something's different here. And then a day or two later, we got a phone call from the hospital asking him to come back in because his bloods had shown up another infection. So um, we had to take him back in and another lot of um, antibiotics. And again, I didn't realise that you could get it back. So um, I thought once you'd got it. It it was diagnosed as a second case of meningitis. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what they believe. And I think because they'd given him some antibiotics, there was a bit of discrepancy. But um, all the doctors said that, no, the blood test showed that there was inflammation markers in there. So um, that's what they considered it was. So, yeah, that's a bit scary that you think if you've had it once, you can't get it again. You can get it again and just still be on high alert. But um, it's, it's now... He'll be 13 next week, so he's he's okay now. He does have to wear glasses. Um, he this side where his face collapsed because when he was in hospital the first time he had a seizure, and he's got a weakness down his left hand side now, and his left hand eye um, is a bit of a problem, and his eyes don't line up properly, so he has to have glasses for that. But we've got the migraines under control. I think he's growing out of those as he's getting bigger. He started to grow. You mentioned some damage to his eyes. Was that as a result of the the swelling of the brain hitting the optic nerve? Or can you explain the, the association between those yeah. two? Um, we believe that it's because um, when he was um, in hospital, because they, they have a, a raging temperature and that caused like a seizure and the whole left-hand side of his face um, collapsed and um, it, it looked like his eye was coming out of the socket. It was it was quite terrifying. Um, and he eventually came round from that. And I, I noticed almost straight away that there was a change in the left-hand side of his eye, and my GP spotted it as well. 
also we took him to the um, opticians to get him checked out and they explained that um, there was so, there is a name for it and I can't remember but the um, the muscle in the left eye is not working properly so when you read something both eyes line up so you can read it straight away but Matthew's eyes sort of like jiggle from left to right before they can um, line up so he was finding it hard to read numbers and do reading so that impacted on his education a bit until until we figured out what it was mm-hmm. so that's not something that's like very obvious yeah what about hearing how's his hearing um it's okay it's, he's got a lot better he does um suffer with um hearing and loud noises or the um background noises so if we go into a restaurant and um the ambient noise like background music is just slightly above like a normal noise for us that bothers him so for for a while for a good few months maybe a year or so we had to be careful where we we took him because his ears were so so sore um and like even now um he, we have to go and have those like taken care of but i remember one school disco that he tried to go to this would be probably a couple of years after his meningitis he went in and um, he came out crying, holding his ears because it was just too much for him. So, and then if people were clapping in class, mm. so it really did like impact on his yeah day to day activities. Really. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned that Matthew is just about to turn thirteen, which in itself brings mm-hmm. some challenges as a thirteen year old yeah. in any family. <laughs> is mm-hmm. is he still dealing with any long term after effects, or is that high alert still in play for for you as a family? Yeah, absolutely, all the time. Um, I'm constantly watching him, but obviously with him being older, um, he he can like verbalise more now, so it's much easier than when he was just a little boy and all you'd got was the non-verbal cues, you know, the rubbing of the neck and the, you know, trying to shy away from the bright lights and being tired. So it is it is better. He does remember um, some parts of being in hospital. Um, and, you know, we do, we do often talk about it. But I also, because I'm a teacher at a college, I talk to my students about it as well, um, just to make them aware because, you know, I also didn't realise that you can catch it from sharing water bottles or lip balm or anything like that. So make them aware of it. And if they can get vaccinated to, to do that, because they're one of the at-risk groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matthew's, yeah, he's he's doing okay. There's, we still have problems with his eyes and his hearing, but he's very pleased that he's finally started to grow. So that's good. <laughs> and has it changed your relationship with Matthew at all? Yes, absolutely. He um, he gets away with a lot of things with me. <laughs> um, I think I'm quite soft on him, probably more so than my daughter, because we nearly lost him. Um, we are really, really close. We we can sit and talk about anything and everything. So he, you know, he tells me about his whole day, which is unusual for a 13 year old boy. You know, normally you get grunts out of them and done nothing kind of thing. But yeah, we are really, really, really close. And as a family, I think it brought us closer because there's only the four of us in New Zealand. Um, we're just constantly looking out for each other and enjoying each day and just making really good memories. 
Now, knowing what you know about meningitis and having experienced it twice within the same family, what words of advice Mm -hmm. would you give to other parents? First and foremost, get vaccinated. Um, And if you are scared about getting your child vaccinated, go and speak to the professionals and they will put your mind at rest. I know there's a lot of anti-vaccination feelings out there at the moment. Um, but do that. That's the, the biggest thing that you can do for your children. Um, be aware of the symptoms. Not Don't look for the rash because when the rash is out, it's too late. It moves so quickly. Um, so if you've got anything that, you know, makes you think there's something not quite right here, go to the hospital and explain it. Nine times out of 10, the doctors will understand and get you straight in. And if they don't, you need to push for your son or your daughter and getting checked out. The first signs for Matthew were just, he was just tired. That could have been just because he had a busy day. Um, then the sore neck and then not being able to look outside. It, was, it wasn't bright, but it was hurting his eyes. They were just three regular things. Um, but your gut instinct will tell you and just trust it. And if you're not sure, just go straight to the hospital and get it checked out. Brilliant. Cheryl, thank you so much for sharing your story. And we send our best wishes to Matthew for his celebration for his birthday. Uh, Thank Thank you so much much. for joining us today. No worries. Thank you very much. This is part of a series of podcast episodes by the Meningitis Foundation, Aotearoa, New Zealand, to raise awareness of meningitis, septicemia, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. For more information, you can go to our website at www.meningitis.org.nz or go to our Facebook page. If you just type in the Meningitis Foundation, you should be able to find us without a problem. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. Bye for now. Mm